Remind you, we're going to have a church dinner this uh, Sunday after morning worship service, and if some of us could put up the tables and chairs tonight, that would be helpful. Let's read verse 36 again. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now we have two people described in that verse of scripture, and I'll be describing both myself and you. We fit into this one of these two groups, he that believes on the Son, and he that believeth not the Son. I'm one of those two people. You're one of those two people. And this is said in a way, he that believes on the Son, that's what he is. He believes. That's what he does. He believes the Son. And the one who does not believe, that's what he is. He's one who does not believe the Son. That's what he does. He does not believe the Son. I hope by the end of this message we will know which one of these groups we're in and how sobering it is when John tells us that one who does not believe on the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. I don't know of anything more sobering than that. Now let's pick up in verse 22 of John chapter 3. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. People were hearing what he was saying and they were being baptized. Remember, Whosoever believeth and is baptized, the same shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Those were the words of the Lord. And people were hearing what he was saying, and they were being baptized. Verse 23, and John also was baptizing in Aonon, near to Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison, John the Baptist was doing the same thing. He was baptizing people. Verse 25, then seeing these two different men baptizing, the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, two men were baptizing, and this created a debate. Then there arose a questioning, and that means a debate, between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. 
Now, they do what religious people do. This is always a debate between religious people. This is why there are different religions. This is why there are different denominations. This is why there are different groups, even within Christianity, what they call Christianity, all of which believe they have the best method of purifying. Baptists are better about this. No, Methodists have a clearer view of what it means to be purified. No, the Catholics have it down what needs to be done for purification, cleansing. What brand of religion does this the best? Does John baptizing, does that lend itself to a better form of purification than the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does Christ baptism, does it lend itself to a better view of purification than John's baptism? There's always a debate. There's, there's actually... Uh, competition between religious people who is the best at this thing of purification what what's the uh, most accurate way what is the best way and anytime we have divisions within uh, religion you have one group claiming to be better or having more of a handle on this thing of purification and that's what was going on there now let me say this the only person who understands purification is the person who believes what the writer to the Hebrews said when they said he by himself purged. That's the same word, made purification for our sins. That is the way of purification. And to look at it in any other view is to look at it in a wrong way. Look in chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, I love the way the Lord just leaves this. There's a debate going on. The Lord's baptizing more disciples than John is. There must be something better about him. You know, there's always competition in religion. Who, who has the most converts? Who has the most baptisms? What's the first thing somebody asks you about your church? How many folks go there? How many are there? First thing people ask, as if that's a gauge as to whether or not there's anything accurate about it or whether there's, or it's successful. A little bit, well, you're not very successful. A bunch, yeah, the Lord's really using you. There's competition in godliness. Somebody thinking, well, I'm more spiritual or I have more understanding. And they were doing that at this time. The Lord was baptizing more people than John. And I love the way the Lord just left. He just left. He's not going to have anything to do with anything like that. He just left. Verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. He's got a bigger following than you. He's got more influence than you. Everybody is coming to him. Verse 27. John answered 
and say it. Oh, may this be written in our heart. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Now, John says with regard to these baptisms, the Lord is performing. This is the Lord's work. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You know, you've got to have it given to you even to receive Christ. You won't receive him unless that is given to you. You won't have faith unless that is given to you. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from above. If I've not received, he never gave. Everybody he gives the gift of his grace to, you know what they do? They receive it. Willingly, joyfully. They're mighty glad to do it. But they receive it. Verse 28. You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but that I'm sent before him. I never claimed to be anything but a voice. You're asking me about more people being baptized by Christ than me. I never said I was the Christ. Look in John chapter 1 with me for a moment, beginning in verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they said unto him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, No. Are you that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou then that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I'm the voice. Just a voice. Nothing more. He didn't give his name. The voice of one in the wilderness, crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now that was John the Baptist's testimony at this time. Now look what he said back in John chapter 3. You yourselves bear witness that I said what I just read. I'm not the Christ, but that I'm sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. You know, John the Baptist understood what Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 5. Christ is the bridegroom of the church. The church is the bride. He understood that. He knew that. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. 
If they leave me and go to him, my joy is fulfilled. That's what I want. Do you think that this is a slam against me because they're going to him? I love it this way. This is exactly what I want to see. Men and women coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that's the desire of every believer. I say that first. Wouldn't that the desire of the preacher? Yeah, but I say this first with regard to every believer. He must increase. That's what we want. And we want to decrease to where we're not even seen, and he's all that is that's seen. And that's the desire of the preacher. He must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. Now, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times did the Lord say, particularly in the book of John, I came down from heaven? I imagine people just about flipped out when he said that. What if I said to you, I came down from heaven? Why, you'd say, you're a liar. And I'm sure they thought the same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ when he said that. I came down from heaven. He said in John chapter 6, verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing raise it up again at the last day. He's talking about himself when he says, he that cometh down, um, he that cometh from above is above all. That is John talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who came from above. He's above all. You know what that means? Everybody's under him. Everybody's under him. He controls everybody and everything, every thought, every event. He's above all. He that is of the earth is earthy. You know who John the Baptist talked about there? Himself. Every son of Adam, made of earth, made of dirt, he's earthy. You know, when I'm preaching the gospel, you know something that's very apparent to me while I'm preaching it? I'm earthy. I'm earthy. I'm a weak, sinful man. And didn't Paul say we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. John the Baptist was speaking of himself and really everybody else except the Lord when he said that he that is of the earth is earthy and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, speaking of the one who came from heaven, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth. Oh, I love the testimony of the Lord, don't you? He testifies that which he's seen and heard of his Father. He speaks the words of God. He that has seen, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He brings the very word of God. He brings the very gospel and no man, me and you won't, unless God gives us grace to. We won't receive his testimony. We'll reject his testimony. The natural man, listen to this scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 14. 
The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither indeed can he know them. He lacks the ability to know them because they're spiritually discerned. For me or you to be able to understand the gospel, he's got to give us a new spirit. A natural man can't understand the gospel. Only the spiritual man. Now, I realize that this word is almost in vogue in our day. Somebody says, I'm spiritual. I hate it when people say that. I'm a spiritual person. Uh, Well, no, you're not. No, you're not. Only a believer is a spiritual person. He's been given a new spirit. He's got a spiritual nature, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is spiritual, and it takes only a spiritual person, someone birthed by the Spirit of God, given a new nature, can understand the things of God. He that is spiritual, the Scripture says, discerneth, understandeth all things. But no man receives his testimony. Verse 3, he that hath received his testimony. Now, there's some that do receive his testimony. Who are they? We'll look back in John 1 for a moment. Verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's what they do. They believe on his name. His name is his attributes. It's the person behind the name. It's not just being able to know that his name is Jesus Christ. It's knowing he's sovereign, that he's holy, that he's omnipotent, that he's omnipresent, that he is all wise, that he's all powerful, that he's immutable, that he's independent, and you're believing on his name to save you. This is the only one who can save you, someone that is described by his name. We believe on his name. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born, birthed by God, not of blood, not because their mom and dad were Christians, not of the will of the flesh, not as an act of man's free will, not of the will of man, because a bunch of men got together and said, we're going to pray for this person until they're saved. How are they born? Of God. And that's the person who receives Christ. The person who is born of God. Back to our text. Verse 33. He that hath received his testimony. The testimony of the gospel. Has set to his seal. That God is true. Now the seal is the mark of authenticity. And you know what the mark of authenticity is? of a believer is they have the Holy Spirit Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise he's called the earnest he's the proof that God's done something for you we have God the Holy Spirit and he that hath received his testimony, and that's what every believer does. That's what whoever's born of God does. He that's received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. Now, if you and I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, you know what? We believe God is true. It's that simple. We believe that God is true 
and everything he says is the truth. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is true? Do you believe everything he says is the truth? That's the seal of God the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Now, if I'm a believer, I have a measure of the Spirit. A measure. Given in the new birth. I don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And when I'm even talking about that, I, I'm just saying stuff that I believe and don't understand. Uh, I don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ did. You see, he had complete dependence, complete communion with God the Holy Spirit. And when he spake, every word was inspired by the Spirit of God as the Word of God. Now, the only time I can for sure say I'm speaking the Word of God is when I'm reading the Scriptures. And the only way you can know if what I'm teaching is the Word of God is by the Scriptures. When the Lord spake, it was as one having authority. Not like the scribes. Not like those religious idiots is what they're saying. He spake as one having authority. Look in John chapter 6 for a moment. Verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. This is a hard word. We don't like this. We don't agree with this. This doesn't fit into our way of thinking. This is a hard saying. This is a harsh saying. This is an austere saying. This is cold. This is dry. The word dry comes out of this word. They heard the words of the Lord in John chapter 6, and they said, well, this is dry doctrine. This is harsh. This is austere. Who can hear this? Who can be expected to hear this? It would behoove us to go back and read what it was he said. Now, I'm not going to do that right now, but I hope you do that on your own. Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, what he said, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What I've said, do you find it offensive? Are you a disagreement? Verse 62, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Now you're hearing me speak from earth and you're offended. How offended are you going to be when you see me speaking from the throne? The exact same thing. You're offended now. You'll really be offended then. Verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they're spirit and they are life. That is how God's people Respond to the word of Christ 
their spirit. The very word of God, their life. Life itself is in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go back to our text. John chapter 3. Verse 34, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. I wish I could speak on that the way it ought to be spoken. The Father loveth the Son. He says, this is the Son of my love. This is my well-beloved son. This is the one who's altogether lovely. The father loveth the son. Everything about his son, the father loves. Oh, he, he sees such glory in everything concerning his son. He is altogether lovely. You know, I think of that passage of scripture where Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Let him be damned upon the return of the Lord. Was Paul being harsh? Was he being unloving? No. No. If somebody doesn't love him who is altogether lovely, they ought to be damned. That's just so. Now, I know if I do love him, he gave me that love. And I can't give myself the credit for that but I do love him. Like Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The Father loveth the Son and giveth all things into his hand. I, all things, all the things of creation he created. The world was made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. All things of providence, he's the first cause of. He's in control of everything. Uh, salvation, my dear friends, is his will being done. He says, as the father raises the dead and quickens them, even so the son quickens whom he will. All things are delivered into the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's our text. And I'm not going to spend much time, but I think it was good to read everything that came up to this verse. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. Now, that's not talking just about the longevity of life. You know that. That's talking about the life of God in the soul, eternal life, the gift of God. What's the evidence of having eternal life? You believe on the Son. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, he that believeth on the Son. Now, let me say something about faith. Faith is not believing you're saved. Do you get that? Faith is not having assurance that you're saved. Well, I know I'm saved. You know, as soon as I say that, I know I'm saved. You can't tell me any different. I know I'm saved. Something happens inside. I thought, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, I've heard people say that to me. You know, I know I'm saved. Well, I hope you are. 
I don't know it, but I hope you are. But faith is not knowing that you're saved. Faith is believing on the Son. Somebody, maybe in here right now, is struggling with assurance. I'm afraid I'm not saved. I'm afraid I'm not saved. How could somebody that's saved think the things I think and do the things I do? I'm afraid I'm not really saved. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe he's all in salvation? Do you? Is that not saving faith? Whoso believeth, 1 John 5, 1, whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now let me illustrate this to you. The Lord told Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now, Peter was there listening when the Lord said, anyone who denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. You reckon he heard that? You know he did. The Lord said that on numerous occasions. Well, what does Peter do? I know not the man. Three times, I know not the man. Out of cowardice, out of fear of men, out of fear of what would happen, I know not the man. I, I don't claim any association with this man. I don't know who he is. And he even did so with cursing and swearing. I know not the man. Now, after Peter did this, I feel quite sure that he thought of the Lord's words, whoso denieth me before men, him will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And I'm sure Peter thought, there ain't no hope for me. I've been cut off. I'm no believer. According to the Lord's testimony. Remember what the Lord prayed for him? He prayed that his faith fail not. Not his assurance. He lost his assurance. But you know something Peter never quit doing that whole time? He never quit believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is what faith is. Faith is not believing you're saved. Now, it's great to have assurance. And when you look to Christ, you'll have assurance. When you look within, it'll leave. But faith is a, uh, assurance is a great thing to have. But assurance is not faith. Faith is what you believe with regard to him. He that believeth on the Son. That's it. He that believeth who he is. He's the Son of God. He's incapable of failure. He's God manifest in the flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in his body. He's God the Son. He's the Christ. God's Christ. That's faith. He that believeth on the Son hath. That means he's got it. He's got it. Hath everlasting life. 
the life of God in his soul. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now let me tell you something about faith and something about unbelief. You only believe when you have no choice. It's not like you have any other options. You only believe when there's nothing left to believe. You don't have to make a choice between two different positions. You believe because you have no choice. You know, I, I don't choose to believe. I just believe. Well, I'm going to believe. No, it doesn't work that way. You believe because you have no choice. But if you do not believe, you have chosen not to believe. There's choice involved. Do you hear the truth? You say, I don't believe that. You chose to not believe that. You believe because you have no choice. You don't believe because that is your choice. You do not believe what is being said. Now I want to close with six statements about faith. Number one, believing on the Son is faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that's not just talking about believing he exists. You believe he is the Son of God. You believe he is the righteousness that God accepts. You believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. You believe he is. Faith, secondly, is the gift of God. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Listen, if you're having a hard time believing... Ask the Lord to give you faith. That's the best thing you could do. Lord, give me faith. I don't even know what it means. Give me faith. Enable me to believe the gospel. You said it's your gift. I need it. Give me your gift. Faith is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Number three, faith is the initial grace. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when you live, you believe. And every other grace flows from saving faith. Let me give you an example of that. The Lord looked at his disciples and he said, If your brother sins against you seven times in the same day, and let's think it's, it, this, this is not just, I mean bad stuff. If your brother sins against you seven times in the seven in the same day, and turns around and says to you all seven times, I repent, you're to forgive him willingly, freely. You know what the disciples said? Lord, increase our ability to forgive. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. They said increase our faith. You see, if my faith is increased, everything else will be increased. Faith is the initial grace. And faith has, fourth faith has only one object. Not Christ and Christ alone at all times. Not Christ and 
Not Christ and my experience, not Christ and my knowledge, not Christ and my anything. It's got only one object, Christ alone. Fifth, faith's foundation is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We will not have faith apart from the word of God. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And here's the last statement. Faith rests. There remaineth a rest for the people of God. Faith rests in Christ. Now, if you're resting, you know what you're not doing? You're not working. You're resting. Resting in this glorious truth that what he did by himself completely accomplished my salvation. And I rest in who he is and what he did. Oh, there's such power in his blood that I can rest. Faith rests in Christ. It doesn't work. Now I want I want to leave it at that. You know, there's, there's every time I make a statement about grace, I think, well, I need to qualify this. I, I need to, I don't want anybody to think get the idea that rest. Give me something else. No. Rest. They which believed do enter into a rest. He that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did also from his. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for your gospel. And we ask in Christ's name that by your grace, you would give us the grace to believe on the Son and have everlasting life. In Christ's blessed name we pray. Amen. We're missing a song leader right now. Drew, we can get through it. Rich, <laughs> do all that thrills my soul is Jesus. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Let's stand and sing all that thrills my soul is Jesus. I'll tell you the number after I look it up. And Kelly, can you get my glasses? <laughs> 463. <laughs> Oh, how blessed to call him mine.